<laughs> so Genesis chapter 28 beginning verse 10 it is on the screen for you if you'd like to follow along instead of in your own scriptures it says now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep then he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. <coughs> Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this, this ladder, is the gate of heaven. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks. Amen. You may be seated. And as you do so, I want to tell you, of all the angel stories, that's probably one of the most popular ones, right? Right. I would say. And there are a lot of different things we're going to talk about angels today, their characteristics, some places in Scripture that talk specifically what they do. And I'm going to share with you something that you may not have known about what those angels fall in in what we call the pecking order of heaven. In other words, they're not above Jesus. They're not above the Holy Spirit. They're not above God. They're somewhere in that chain of command. And if you're familiar with chain of command, we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But the first thing that the angels do is found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. And if you uh, have never read this, it's talking about when Jesus has his, the children and has a blessing them, and He says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels... Always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. This is what Jesus said about each child and each one who is uh, in Christ also. And now let me share this with you. A lot of people say different things about angels, but this is one of the most important. Is there is an angel in heaven always looking toward the heavenly Father on your behalf. Never takes his, he never turns his back on God. Never turns away. Always facing Him. Always looking at Him. Always watching God, the Father. And you say, well, what's the purpose of that? Why, is he, why isn't He just like not leaving? You see, there's more than just one angel. Obviously, in Scripture we have Gabriel and Raphael and Michael and several others, but there's unnamed angels as well. Some of them get more airplay, especially Gabriel with Mary and the Annunciation of... Uh, the uh, virgin birth. But we also have um, Michael and Raphael. And all these have specific tasks, but Gabriel gets the most airplay. But this is not your angel, it's not Gabriel. You have your own. 
And it says it's always looking at the Father and you say, well, why? why? Why doesn't He come down and help me? Because this angel has a specific task. And I want to share with you what this angel's specific task is. It is to inquire of God and to see what God is doing. To know the will of the Father and to be aware of it very succinctly. And so, that angel is always searching out God and watching God and seeing how the Father is going to do things and, and knowing the will of the Father is the job of this angel. And that angel, believe it or not, has other angels that come to him and leave from his side or her side. I'm not sure what the gender of your angel is. But I will say this, that when those messenger angels come, they're not reporting to the angel watching the Father, your angel, about how things are going in the World Series this week. <laughs> Nor are they concerned about um, what happened ten years ago. They're concerned about you. And these messenger angels are relaying to this angel who's looking at the Father all the time and saying, this is what's going on. What is the Father's will? And the angel <coughs> inquires of the Father. And says, this is the Father's will now. And sends that angel out. And sends that angel to whatever that angel is going to do. The messenger angel. And that's what that angel is looking at the Heavenly Father for. We all have one there. And we all have that angel there because we need him there. We need to know God's will and God's perfect will for our lives. And that angel communicates the deep things of the Holy Spirit. And works those things out in ways we don't understand. But also... We also have another partner in this, the Holy Spirit, that also communicates the will of God to us. And so that's a good thing. We have a double front there. Plus we have the Word of God written that also communicates the will of God to us. So there are many different ways God's will is discerned. But angels, the Word, and the Holy Spirit are all authoritative in it. Now, you say, well, that's pretty neat, but what about... Uh, other things the angels do. Well, in Psalm 34, 7, it says this. And I have it on the screen for you. It says that these angels um, that are around, in camp or camp around, those who fear Him and deliver them. So if you're in holy fear of God, their job... Now you say, wait a minute. This has got a wrong verb, verb subject agreement. You say, how can an angel encamps around? How can one angel encamp around everybody who fears God? And it's talking about the angel of the Lord is not just one angel. It's an angel from God. So an angel of the Lord can be multiple angels. You have an angel of the Lord. The next person has an angel of the Lord. And that one encamps around those who fear God and it delivers them through things that God says they need to be delivered through. That's their job, to encamp. Now, if you ever looked in Kings, I don't have this on the uh, screen for you, but in Kings it talks about how Elijah is on Mount, uh, I'm sorry, Dothan, and it's a mountain city. And uh, the uh, Syrian army is coming to attack him through a series of, shall we say, unfortunate events, or so it seems, the entire Syrian army is coming after one guy. Now that's a pretty overwhelming odds, wouldn't you say? Yeah. 
they had about 100,000 in their forces going after one guy. That's how mad the king of Syria was at Elijah that time. And in Dothan, they uh, at, uh, at nightfall, they were all encircling the base of the mountain of Dothan, going to attack in the morning. And at the time, Elijah had a servant there who uh, was trying to figure out uh, what his odds of survival were. <laughs> Because he was Elijah's servant, you know, and they're coming after Elijah. He's going to go, hey, I'm not the guy, you know. That, that was his big plan. I'm not that guy. You want him, not me. I think that was his big plan. And uh, and uh, he's saying, you know, I'm going to go down and see what's going on. And they all said, that, and, he, and he hears the whispers, they're going to attack in the morning. And he tells Elijah, and says, Elijah, we're, we're, we're going to die. <laughs> so basically, not, that's a paraphrase, okay? That's kind of how it went. And... Um, Elijah says, uh, you don't understand, there are more for us than that are against us. You ever seen this story or read this story? Well, here's what that servant does in my mind, because he goes back out and counts. All right, he, he says, okay, I'm going to start with the easy number. One, Elijah, me, two. Now, in case I got that wrong, let me try counting backwards. Me, one, Elijah, two. Now let me go down to this hillside and start counting these guys and see if there's more than two. There's chariots, fire, swordsmen. There's a uh, hundred thousand of them. He loses count. And he says, uh, it comes back to Elijah and he says, Elijah, you're delusional. <laughs> we got two. They've got several hundred, tens of thousands, hundred thousand armed soldiers coming after you. And he says, I think the safest place for me is anywhere but here. <laughs> and Elijah says a prayer. He says, Heavenly Father, open the eyes of my servant that he might see. I'm having a battery issue, I think. But the... Uh, let's use this. But the uh, thing that happened was... God opened the servant's eyes. And when He opened the servant's eyes, He looked. And on the hillside, between Elijah and the 100,000 of army men down there, the whole hillside was filled with chariots of fire, all angels. And He said, there's more of them than there are the other guy. And all of a sudden He comes back and says, Elijah... I don't know where they came from, but we got more than them now. They just showed up, I think. They weren't there before. He got to see the angel army, part of it. Not the entire thing, because it wouldn't have fit. But he got to see it, and in the morning, when the enemy issued the attack, they were completely obliterated. Oh yeah, Elijah, his servant, raised not a finger. Did not have to raise a finger. And I tell you this, and this is important to know, and that's why I share this story with you. From that point forward, that Assyrian king refused to attack Israel. The rest of his reign. He stopped. He said, this just ain't going to work. <laughs> he lost his army. He's not going to go after him again. Be foolish, right? So an angel camps around those who fear God. Would you not say there was an encampment around Elijah? Sure there was. That's what that means. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says that there are angels that can take human form. Verse uh, 12, it talks about 
I think I put the wrong verse there. It says that many have entertained angels unaware. You've heard that verse before? I'm sure. And when he talks about it, he says that you and I have, if we've ever worked with someone or been with someone, that we have entertained angels unaware. And that means people who've come into our lives that God sent in human form. I've had a few of those. I, I shared one uh, Wednesday night during Real Church about a guy named Bruce. He said his name was Bruce, but I believe Bruce was sent from God. Bruce had a, a backpack and a bunch of notebooks. That's all he had. And Bruce was uh, hiking, hitchhiking from one side of the United States to another. Happened to go through Jonesboro, Illinois, where I was pastoring. And also just happened to knock on my door. I don't know how he figured my door. But in, in a town the size of Jonesboro, I wasn't on the center town. I wasn't on the edge of town. I was just kind of in town. So how he picked my door of all the doors convinces me that he knew where he was going. He knocked on the door and he said, I want you to know I'm hitchhiking through um, the United States and I'm, I'm journaling everywhere I go and all the people who've put me up and one day I'm going to write a book about it. Would it be alright if I lodged here for the night, I'll be gone in the morning. Well, at the time, a buddy of mine and I were there and uh, he was staying the night also and I said, well, I don't have a bedroom, but i got a couch if that's all right. He said, a floor is fine. I said, no, we'll give you a couch. And so it made him a bed and gave him something to eat. And he asked our names and he wrote our names down in one of his journal, the town where we're at and a little of our history. And he said, thank you. And I said, well, I'll see you in the morning. And I went to bed. The next morning I woke up and there was no sign he had ever been there. No trace. And, and my friend and I, we were talking about it, and I said, that happened, didn't it? He says, yeah, but how did he pick us? And how did he know that we would take him in? And how did he know, and how do we know that he was safe? Because how many times does someone knock on your door and you go, uh, yeah, you, you know, you got the wrong house. But in his presence, I felt completely safe. I felt like, what he was saying was coming from God. I couldn't explain it. And when we talked about it later, my friend and I said, yeah, we both had that experience. It felt like that there was a Holy Spirit moment there. And so, when that happened, uh, I thought I'd entertain a human. Actually, an angel. And so, some other folks have seen different people in their lives where angels take human form. Now you might say, well, you know, I know they're real people. But i got to share something with you. And I, I can't say this is scriptural, but I can tell you this is kind of how it seems to me. Is every now and then, God inhabits someone and they carry a different persona. A heavenly persona about them. Some people say they've met angels who were just flesh and blood, but all of a sudden they became an angel for a little while. Someone once told me I was an angel. That's why I questioned whether that's biblical or not. <laughs> but uh, it's true. God, in Scripture, I got the wrong verse. I'm sorry about that. But in Hebrews, it does say that some have entertained angels unaware. Chapter 13, uh, first verse. 
first verse. Oh, second verse. Second verse. Should have been 13.2. I must have typed a 12 instead of a 2. Um, and that's what it says there, is they entertain angels unaware. In the Old Testament, we read in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that angels were there. And people wanted to have relationship with angels. That means they were physical. But they stayed with uh, Lot. Remember that story? Physical features on some angels. And I, I say that to you because a lot of times people want to say, well, they're like spirits and they, they look like this and they look like that. There is, there is no definitive form for an angel. Many people have seen them and give different descriptions of what they look like. And I believe that people have seen them. I don't know what your story is, but I asked yesterday on Facebook for some witness to that, and several people private messaged me and told me some of their stories. And they said, we've seen them. This is what they look like. This is what they acted like. And, and I was so thankful that other people were confirming it. But i got to tell you this. If you ever ask someone if they believe in angels, there's very few people that do not. And there are very many people who say they've experienced them. And angels in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, says that they are subject to Jesus. It's talking about Jesus in this verse. He's gone into heaven to the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers are made subject to Him. That means in the pecking order, there it is. Angels, sorry, Jesus, then the angels, then authorities, which means earthly authorities, and then powers. So you have those three things, each lower on the chain of command. And all these are under Jesus, but the angels are above several things, but below Jesus. So Jesus can direct them. He has authority to to command them. And in the same writer, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it talks about how they relate to us. And it says, they are greater in power and might than us, but they will not accuse anybody before God. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of all this, but what it's saying is an angel may see someone who's disrespecting God or, or sinning, but they're not going to go to God and say, hey, look what they're doing. Let me tell you this. An angel's job is not to condemn you. An angel's job is to serve. An angel's job is to find God's will for your life and help it come about. It's not to go around saying, look here, look what you did, look what you did wrong. Angels don't do that. Not unless they're the fallen angel, and by golly, they'll tell you some pretty bad stuff. Now here's where I begin to tell you a little bit about this chain of command in heaven. And Jesus recognizes and confirms that this is so. If you ever read Apostle Paul, he says there's layers of heaven, levels of heaven. There's also levels of authority. I don't know all of them. I just know several of them. And this one talks about one of the, one of the low guys on the totem pole. In Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 5, we find the following. When Jesus enters into Capernaum, a centurion comes to him pleading with him. 
saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, now get this, I will come to your house and I will heal him. And here's what the man says, Lord, I'm not worthy. A centurion is a Roman officer in the, in the service. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And he tells why. And this is great. For I also, hear this, I also am a man under authority. You understand? He's saying, I understand Jesus, you are under authority and you have command over things. And I have soldiers under me. So I have someone above me and someone below me in the chain of command. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. In verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said this, Assuredly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And let's unpack this a little bit because you need to know what the centurion's frame of reference is when he's talking to Jesus. In the Roman army or the Roman forces, they had a, a group of men under command of a legate. Now, I don't think you'll need to know what a legate is, but it's kind of like a province ruler or a governor. And that governor was over that group of men called a legion. And that legion had 5,500 men in it and 120 horsemen. So about 5,600 men. And the commander of that was the legate. So part of legion becomes legate. But under that commander of the legion were some other forces divided into cohorts. And there were ten of those. So if you do the math, there's about five to six hundred in each cohort. And over those cohorts, or, um, or excuse me, those cohorts, five or six cohorts, were split up into what were called centuries. So you had ten cohorts, and each of those into a century. Now you know why it was called century? <laughs> Any idea? About a hundred people were in each one, give or take, depending on casualties, right? (laughs) Now, one of those cohorts may have more than another, but all in all, in a legion, there were 59 centuries to get the 5,620 people. And the leader of an individual century was called a centurion. Now, in our equivalent, that would be a captain in today's U.S. Army. If you're familiar with military ranking better than me, you know just what I've said. And above him were six tri- tribunes. Those six tribunes were, were um, above all the centurions over the 59 centuries. And above the tribunes was the commander of the legion of the legate. So, chain of command. The commander of the legion said it to the tribunes. The tribunes spread it to the centurions. The centurions spread it to the general population of the army. So this centurion would get orders from one of the tribunes. But the tribune didn't send that order, did he? No. No. 
Because above the tribunes was a lead tribune who got the word from the commander or the legate or the head of the legion. And so the head of the legion could be in a public office somewhere sending word by horseback to the commander of the present legion, which is the head tribune. And he said to the six to spread the word. But the guy who's the head of the six tribunes was not the guy who gave the command. It was the leader of the legion, the legate. The guy who might have been a governor or in a province, not with the troops. Very political, shall we say. And this is how it all worked. So now imagine this. There is a conflict, and a legion is needed to go. Well, the leader of that legion, the legate, sends command. And then it goes through the chain of command, and they end up going. But the leader of that legion is not the one who made up his mind that this should go. It came ultimately from Caesar. It's a Roman after all. So Caesar said there's a problem here. We're going to get the governor to work on it. He'll send his legion. We'll squash this rebellion. One legion should be enough. Sometimes it took two. Sometimes three. Well, if you look back to that story in Kings with Elijah, he sent uh, about 15 legions, maybe 18, to get that taken care of. So that's a lot of people to go after one man, wasn't it? So I, I say all this because this man says, I'm under authority. So he would be the guy sending word to the people who are actually doing the work. That's his job, to get the foot soldiers moving. Now, you and I are not the foot soldiers in this. We're looking at a picture of heaven's chain of command. The foot soldiers are the angels that are coming to you. The centurion is the one who's getting the message from somewhere higher up and saying, angels, go do this thing. But the centurion isn't making this rule up. Because he knows that whoever has given him the order is higher than him. And so this is what he says to Jesus. Jesus, I know you're a man under authority just like me. That there's someone over you. And you can say a word, and whatever you do to activate the armies of heaven, you can send and heal my servant by just saying the command. You don't, hear this, you do not have to come to my house. You can send the foot soldier. You can send the angel. Now let me ask you this. If a Roman centurion who felt unworthy of Christ's presence in his home could ask Jesus to send an angel to his home to do something for a sick servant or a son or a daughter or any friend and Jesus would do it, do you think he'd be more willing to do it for you? Of course he would. In Hebrews chapter 1.14, it tells us the exact purpose of what an angel is. It says, and it's talking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall inherit salvation? This is what an angel's job is, to minister to you. Now you say, wait a minute, if they're ministering to me, does that make me above them? No. Scripture says, the one who serves you is your master. Are you starting to get the picture a little bit? 
They're ministering for those who will inherit salvation. So you have an angel-activated army if you belong to Jesus Christ. And if you don't, I'm very concerned because you haven't got a whole lot of spiritual forces to fight on your side for good. Now, you remember I started with Jacob's ladder, right? And do you remember what he said there in that uh, passage where he said that he saw a ladder set up on the earth, its top reached to heaven. Now, now, don't get into semantics and say, what was it leaning against? I don't think it needed to lean against anything. I think somebody held it at the top <laughs> for, the, for, the, for, for those who are semantically questioning this thing. And it says, the top reached heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Um, i got to do a visual here for you so you'll get this. It's real easy. But, but I, I was going to bring a ladder in, but I thought, well, we only have an 18-foot ladder. So, imagine i got a ladder right here. And it's propped up. And I want to go up it. Right? And uh, somebody else wants to come down. It does say, plural, angels, plural, ascending and descending. When I first heard this, I thought they were just kind of floating, you know, alongside it. Up, up. And why do they need a ladder? <laughs> you don't need a ladder if you're going to float, right? So it says they're ascending and descending, so I'm thinking, okay, well, it's just one guy. Going up, and another going down. One ladder, not two, one ladder. So it's just one angel going up, but it says angels. Angel. So I thought, okay, so there's like ten going up, and then the same ten come back down. They just keep going up and down, same ten angels up and down. It doesn't say that. It says angels were ascending, and angels were des- descending. And that means, if you will, and it says, and just a little moment later in the passage, this is the gate of heaven. The door. It's how you get in. It's how you get out. Why would you climb up a ladder to a door if you don't intend to go in the door? doesn't make any sense. I'm going to go upstairs just to come back down. That's pointless. So the angel goes up and goes in. And another one comes out and goes down. One at a time. You can't fit one going up and one going down the same ladder. It just doesn't work. So, I believe it was happening really fast. So, <laughs> I mean, not like, come on, pitch faster than that guy. Move faster than the guy who throws a baseball every minute and everybody falls asleep. Do something quick. And so I think they were speedy up and down that ladder. And I think what was going on, and, and you can, we'll confirm this in a moment, is that an angel would come out of heaven on an assignment down the ladder to go do it. And the ones that were going up had completed the job. They were going back to the face of the angel, of your angel, looking at the Father to get the next assignment, saying, job well done, let's go do something different. So that angel would get another assignment and come back down. And then you say, well, I don't know, that's kind of presumptuous until you look at John 1.51. And John 1.51, he's talking to Nathaniel, and he says, Most assuredly I say to you that hereafter you shall see heaven open up, and the angels of God ascending 
and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, I hope you understand this is figurative. That Jesus isn't saying, I stand here and my arms touch up here to the heaven and they crawl up and down my body. He's making a direct reference to Jacob's ladder. That He is the gate, the door to heaven. He even says, I am the door. By which the sheep find pasture. They come in and come out through me. He's talking about he's the door, the, the door, the gate for heaven. And his sheep come in and go out. The same story of the good shepherd is the same story of the authority of the angels going in and going out. They can only do it by the authority of the one who is the door. He's also the ladder. The way to get there. The way to come back. This is what He is. And so, it says, angels descending and ascending, and the only way they can do it, as we know, is under His authority. Right? And you say, that's pretty neat. But I think in Luke 22, if you'll, you'll, you'll like this passage and what these angels are doing here. And it kind of gets us close to what's going on. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus is arrested to be crucified. And beginning at verse 39, it says, He went to the Mount of Olives as He was customed, and His disciples also followed Him. And when He came to the place, He said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and He knelt down and prayed. And you remember this, saying, Father, if it's Your will, take this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. We've heard this. Now listen to the next verse. Angels are ministering spirits to those receiving salvation. They are from Jesus out into the world. And look at this next verse. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. He needed it. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It doesn't say when that angel began to do the work that Jesus was going to get out of it. It says it came to minister to him and strengthened him. It strengthened him so much that he knew what was coming, that he had to have that much more push. An angel come to him and minister to him face to face. That's how much the crucifixion was bothering him. Listen carefully. It was one angel. Here's how it worked. The door of heaven opened. It came down the ladder straight to where Jesus was and began to strengthen Him. He was told, Go strengthen My Son. This was an angel from the Father. This guy had an important job to do because this angel was ministering to the ones who were going to receive salvation. And you say, Well, Jesus wasn't going to receive salvation. No, we were. And He had to do it for Jesus so we could get the salvation through Him. And He had to have the strength to go through it because He didn't have it. He wanted to quit. He says, take this cup. I want to quit. And so He ministers to Jesus there. And while He's praying, Judas, the betrayer, has gone to get some Roman soldiers. Remember those guys? How many do you think he needed? 
So he went and got the Roman soldiers in Matthew 25 it tells us the story. Or 26 it tells us the story. It says, after Judas had kissed him to betray him, it says, suddenly one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Listen to verse 53. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will give me more than twelve legions you do the math. 70,000 plus angels right now. Do you think He wouldn't do that for me? He just gave me one. I needed it. He'll do whatever I need. I believe that. And when He said that, He said something very powerful. Listen carefully. Do you not think that I can't pray to my Father. The statement is you can, Jesus. You can pray to the Father and He would send them more than 12 legions of angels. He'd send them as many as He asked for. Because He's His Son. When Jesus was praying in the garden, He said, God, I need something. Comfort me. Send something. Give me some assurance here that, that this is the right thing, that I'm going through the right thing. He sends them one. One was enough. To get him to Calvary. 12,000 legion plus would have got him off of Calvary. One was enough to get him through. One, listen, one angel's enough to get you through something like Calvary. And none of us have to face that. He could have summoned thousands, but they are ministering spirits to help those who are going to get salvation. And that's us. To set him free would have stopped you and me from being saved. He refused to call 12,000 legions of angels. 12 legions, excuse me. He accepted agony and suffering to be obedient for you and I. His death He chose, but only because He knew it would give you life. Do you understand? If this wasn't God's will, it didn't have to happen. There are many times in Scripture where Jesus would pass through people unharmed. Like Peter who followed an angel out in Acts and realized he was out of prison. Didn't know how it happened. Went through metal gates and doors and things like that. Surprised he thought it was a dream. Jesus did the same kind of pass-through. In Psalm 91 it says, He will give the angels charge over you, keep you in all your ways. That isn't just for Jesus, you know. And Scripture says this, and this is where we miss it sometimes, that you and Jesus are one. That's what Jesus prayed in John 17, that they would be one with me, and I would be one with them. That when any force in the spiritual realm sees one who belongs to me, they would see me. Now, we think of that and we go, well, that's that way the devil can't get to us. Yes, but there's a positive to that too. And that's that the forces of heaven also see that you're Jesus. That you're 
now moved up the pecking order. And now you're above all powers, above all kings, above all principalities and all created things, above all angels, one with Jesus Christ. And we don't realize this. But I want to share this with you and I hope you understand it's a very simple thought. In Jesus Christ you can pray to the Father and have an angel sent. Directly you can ask. Did you know that? Did you know that it only takes one to give you strength to go through a crucifixion? Elijah needed several hundred thousand. And he got them. He got them. He already knew. So I'm praying this morning that God opens your eyes to see that there are more for you than that are against you. It would be so, so disheartening for me if you didn't know that you have all the access to, to the throne room. That you, in Hebrews 4, you've read it, haven't you? Let us now come boldly before the throne of God in full assurance, knowing that He will show us mercy and grace and, and, and you get the and there? This is Hebrews chapter 4. And to find help in time of need. Do you think finding help is God going, hang in there. God has forces ready to be dispatched. And your angel looking at His face knows you need Him. He just says, I'm waiting for the request so I can ask the Father for you. So send the request. And watch the gates of heaven, shall we say, open up. And let the King of glory come in. Would you pray with me? God, you could have done a lot of things different. You could have wiped out everybody who was sinful, leaving none of us start over. Or you could have sent your son and he could have found strength and courage to go against what was uncomfortable because you comforted him through one of your special angels. And God, I think that angel had a mission. That that angel that came to him in the Mount of Olives as he prayed didn't just pat him on the back and say, hang in there. I think that he ministered straight from your throne room with manna, with strength, and divine providential power that he could not muster on his own. Why? Because I believe he needed it. And if your son needed it, Heavenly Father, we need it too. And probably in more dire straits in our lives than we ever imagined. Because we didn't know we could ask. So this morning I'm asking you to activate what needs activated. Heavenly Father, you say that each church has an angel over it. Well, I'm asking you to activate and send a letter to the church's angel here and give us the encouragement and the word that we need. So we